And you know, like everything that we do here, there's a reason for that. Uh, it's because today is the first Sunday of Advent, uh, the day which really marks New Year's Day for us on the church's calendar. Uh, and now, if you're maybe a, a new Christian or perhaps from uh, a denomination that ignores the liturgical year, uh, the Advent season might be new to you. So uh, just by way of background, the word Advent comes from Latin and it means coming. And the time itself provides us a season uh, to celebrate Christ's first coming as a baby in the manger and to anticipate his coming again in glory and power someday, I hope, very, very soon. Uh, The season always begins on uh, the Sunday that's nearest to November 30th, and it lasts for the four Sundays leading up to the 12-day celebration of Christmastide. That starts on Christmas Eve and runs until January the 6th, which is Epiphany. And as you've already uh, witnessed this morning, and I think Carolyn and Phil did a great job, uh, the season of Advent begins and centers around the visual experience of light. And this, this imagery, this idea of light, reminds us of God's initial work in the creation uh, and points us to God's future work of recreation in the second coming of Christ. And that great truth uh, that he has shined the light of God's grace into our hearts to rescue us uh, from the darkness of sin and despair and really to bring us into the, uh, the hope of forgiveness and new life. And this morning we are going to be uh, looking at that uh, in a very familiar passage, one that uh, probably all of you may know by heart but maybe never thought of as having a connection with Christmas. And I'm speaking, of course, of the next psalm in our series, which is Psalm 23. So it is listed uh, in the superscription as a psalm of David. And David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, it's easy to see why this is such a well-loved scripture, isn't it? Actually, the the most beloved of the Psalms and and probably uh, the most loved chapter in the entire Bible. And countless people have found comfort and strength and hope in its verses. And so if you really think about it, it's kind of a shame then that in the modern church we tend to only hear sermons on Psalm 23 at funerals. Uh, Because in my opinion, this really is a psalm for the living. Uh, And it's a text that you and I can apply to uh, our everyday lives. It's a a text that we can turn to during times of grief and struggle where you and I can actually visualize the Lord making us rest in green pastures and leading us to cool and quiet waters and walking with us through the dark valleys and into the light of life just like a good shepherd would do with his flock. Uh, And that's the point that I really want us to consider today through and around the text of Psalm 23. Uh, which is the hope of salvation in the light of Christ's incarnation. Uh, A light that was sent uh, not to the pharaohs of Egypt, 
It wasn't sent to the Caesars in Rome. Uh, It wasn't given to the power brokers or the captains of industry uh, or the cultural elite of the day, but instead sent to a tiny group of shepherds. A a bunch of nobodies, really, in the middle of nowhere. And as I said in the beginning in reference to the the Advent decorations, uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, Several, actually. The first of which, though, Uh, is that these guys were no ordinary shepherds. They were Bethlehem shepherds. The shepherds who raised the sheep that were offered as sacrifices at Passover. Uh, And and these sheep that they kept were specifically bred to have their lambs in the autumn and in the winter rather than the spring. Uh, So they, they make a little bit more to manage. For one thing, the Bethlehem sheep always stayed in the fields at night under the guard of the shepherds, rather than being brought into the typical sheepfold. Uh, And when the ewes were ready to deliver, the shepherds would move them from those open pastures inside uh, so that they could watch as they gave birth and so that their lambs uh, could be sorted out and checked as they were being born under cover of this shelter. Uh, Now, the place where the uh, the shepherds used for the delivery of these lambs was called the Migdal Adair. And that just simply means the tower of the flock. Uh, It was located close to the road between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Uh, And in fact, I I just learned this in study this week. Uh, This place, this uh, Migdal Adair, was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament book of Micah. And so this was really, uh, I thought this was interesting in my study uh, and maybe new to you too. If you look in Micah chapter 4, verse 8 that I'm going to read to you, the prophet writes, And you, O tower of the flock, Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Zion. And this passage, uh, if you get a chance to read it in context, uh, Pam said, wow, I know I did the same thing when I ran into it, right? If you read it in context, it's part of an extensive section uh, of the book of Micah dealing with the promise of a Messiah. And he's telling us that the first news of this long-expected Savior was going to be delivered at the Tower of the Flock. Uh, The very place where the Passover lambs were being born and being expected uh, for purity. And, you know, if you were to see it, it's just an ordinary place to look at. Uh, It's nothing special. It's just a place where ordinary working-class guys were going through the daily grind uh, of shepherding sheep and delivering lambs. Uh, And in case you aren't from a farming background, that's not a nine-to-five job, right? (laughs) Because as part of their workload during this season of colder nights and of shorter days was to constantly keep watch for these first newborn lambs. Uh, Lambs who were then rubbed clean with with rags uh, and looked over. And and the perfect ones, the spotless ones, were wrapped in strips of cloth so they could be distinguished from the other just ordinary lambs as they all began to stand up and to nurse And it's into that dark uh, and messy and smelly and straw-covered scene that something absolutely incredible happened. And we get that story from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And Luke tells us, And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So you see, when the, when the shepherds heard this spectacular announcement delivered by these multitudes of heavenly hosts who were praising God, they knew exactly now where to go to find this baby. And they knew exactly and precisely how they were going to identify him. That they would find him wrapped in swaddling clothes just like those newborn temple lambs. And what a sign that would be. What a sign that's just, just pregnant with meaning that they would find the Savior, uh, Christ the Lord, wrapped just like they wrapped their own precious lambs. Just like they wrapped their own spotless, perfect lambs. Lambs that, that were destined for sacrifice. And so I really believe that's, that's partially the reason why those particular shepherds were the first to be notified of our Lord's advent because it was their holy calling. Uh, it was their life's work. It was their vocation to spot and to certify the Passover lambs when they were born. So that even at Jesus' birth, we're reminded of his sacrificial death. And having seen the new baby, the Bible says the shepherds, when they saw it, made known this saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And you see, they they would have told all the people that they saw on the way back out to the hills, back out to their sheep, back out to the the tower and, and they likely ran into and uh, maybe spoke to friends and to relatives uh, in and around Bethlehem and Jerusalem, the, the middle class people of the day, just like you and me, that they sold sheep and wool to during the year. Uh, and they also probably ran into priests from the temple uh, where they took their best lambs to be sold as future sacrifices. I love that story. That's, that's just one reason for the appearance to the shepherds. But you know, another that I think in that same vein is if you remember uh, from our Old Testament text that Abraham and Moses and David, who was the author of our primary reading today, were all shepherds. Uh, and God made great promises to them about the ultimate deliverance and the hope of a Messiah. And so now in this moment, uh, God is showing that he honors that promise by announcing the coming of his Christ, the Messiah, to shepherds. First, before anyone else. And you know, and in looking at, at both of those reasons, I think those are both very important. Uh, and I want you to keep those in mind as we kind of go through the holiday season. But I believe that there is actually one more, uh, much more important reason that God announced Jesus' birth first to the shepherds. And the chief among those reasons being that God himself is identified as the loving, tender shepherd of his people, just like we read this morning in Psalm 23. And you know, God wants us to know that he knows us. And that He cares for us. And that He's never going to abandon us. Uh, He wants us to know that He desires to bless us 
and to make our life full. And that he wants us to live in his presence uh, and he wants to deal with us lovingly and tenderly. So when the glory of Jesus' birth is announced, it's announced first uh, to shepherds. Announced to shepherds to remind us of our own shepherd, our good shepherd, and of how much he loves us personally, you and me personally. That's why Psalm 23 begins with the line, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And you know, that makes perfect sense. And it makes the text personal. And that is vitally important for you and I to do with all of Scripture. In fact, I've told you before, the great reformer Martin Luther once said, our faith depends on personal pronouns. In other words, he's telling us it's one thing to say that Jesus is a good shepherd, and it's another thing entirely to be able to say, the Lord, yeah, he is my shepherd. Just like King David did today in Psalm 23. And, you know, he could do that because, as we've seen, David is more than just a king. Uh, He's more than a writer. He's more than a shepherd. He's a prophet. Uh, And again, as we have seen, most of the psalms that he composed pointed directly to Jesus as the coming Messiah. So when we're looking at these, you, you could say of David that he wrote from the perspective of someone who enjoyed a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. And now David could have easily and could have rightly said to us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our shepherd. But he didn't say that, did he? Instead he said, The Lord, the eternal God of the universe, uh, is his personal shepherd. A a job that David knew a great deal about. David knew that the shepherd was the one that leads. The shepherd's the one who protects. The shepherd's the one who provides for his sheep. And he knew that the good shepherd is committed to the sheep that's been entrusted to his care. And he's reminding us today in Psalm 23 that this is a picture of God's commitment to you and me as his people. It's a reminder of his covenant with the sheep of his pasture. And it's designed to give us hope in times of discouragement. It provides us confidence in times of fear. And it gives us a focus off of ourselves and our own needs And on to our great God who is a shepherd that will never abandon his sheep and who steps right into the dark and messy and smelly world that surrounds us. And you know our God accomplished that in Jesus. He accomplished that in the incarnation as he sends his son into the world to be our good shepherd. And you know we need that because you see uh, human shepherds, uh, human leaders, uh, even good ones are limited and are subject to sin. Nobody's perfect. Even men like David, the best of shepherds and leaders, is not able to fully deliver God's promises of complete and final security or total redemption. Sometimes it's the shepherd's fault, and sometimes it's the sheep's fault. But either way, in both cases, we are told in Isaiah in chapter 53 that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all Every one of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, laid on Messiah, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that happens because the shepherd uh, who comes is not only divine, but he's human. And because he comes to suffer. He comes to take upon himself our sin and the punishment that we deserve for, uh, among other things, wandering away from God and leaving his flock. 
And that brings me finally and quickly, quickly to my last point that I want to leave with you today, and that is that Jesus has the divine authority to be our shepherd and to do this work exactly for that reason, and that's because He is the Son of God. And He does it not because He has to, but because His substitutionary death was necessary in order to bring us, to bring His sheep back into the fold. Because without the work of the shepherd, we would never be able to have the personal relationship with God that we have. Without the work of Jesus, we would never be able to rightly say that the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, the Apostle Peter uh, put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. For you were like sheep. And that you is not just you, that's me. For we were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, we've returned to the flock because of the work of the good shepherd who bore our sins and accomplished the salvation of our souls. And you know, that's the message of the gospel and the message of Christmas all wrapped up together. That Christ, the good shepherd, has come to save the lost and lonely sheep of his fold through his blood. And now we, like those shepherds of old in Bethlehem, uh, we who have heard his voice call others to look to that chief shepherd uh, and to find his goodness and to find his mercy all the days of our lives, uh, not just here but for eternity. And you know, no message really could be more simple and at the same time more profound that God brings salvation to Adam's fallen race by teaching and, and taking upon himself uh, human flesh, but without sin. And then as our sinless substitute, he bore our sin to satisfy God's righteous judgment so that God could be both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Isn't that simple? Right? Simple enough that children playing with a nativity set can understand the basics of the gospel. Uh, and a message at the same time that's so weighty that learned theologians cannot fathom its depths and the brightest minds of history have stood amazed at its content. Uh, amazed at the simple message of Christmas, just like those shepherds had been. The shepherds who the Bible says returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, uh, for all that was told to them. And where did they go back to? Right? They went back to their ordinary lives, just like we're going to do when we leave here. They went back to tend their sheep. You know, they didn't set up tours to visit the shrine in Bethlehem. Uh, they didn't sign a, a book contract to uh, do a tell-all on everything they saw and heard that night. Uh, they didn't put on seminars about how to have visions of angels. Uh, no, they went right back to the place that God had called them. And they lived out their lives. Except now, they lived lives that were marked by praise. And they lived them now for God. Uh, and that's a good lesson for us. You know, this Christmas season, maybe we ought to get back to the simplicity of the shepherds and the simplicity of a steadfast uh, Christian living that's centered on the simple and pure message of devotion to Christ. Uh, you know, maybe we need to see that God is the God of the normal. Uh, he's the God of shepherds and the God of teachers and the God of carpenters and the God of housewives and the God of husbands. You know, He's not just the God of the spectacular and he calls us to be Christians who glorify him as we tend our sheep or swing our hammer or keep our house. Because, brothers and sisters, God calls us to live in a real world of real people. 
glorifying and praising Him for the gift of the Savior. And that's not always spectacular, is it? But it's how people who have met the Savior are supposed to live. It's the simple message for simple sheep like you and I who are willing to be led by a suffering Savior and a suffering shepherd. A shepherd who will uh, anoint our heads with the loving kindness of His kingdom. A shepherd that will fill our cup with the joy of His presence. A shepherd that will lead us into the green pastures and quiet waters of the kingdom and ultimately to this banquet table for His name's sake at this Advent season and always. Amen?